2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Dad, yeah? visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I can tell you it's going to be one of those kind of programs. Here's the first text that came in as a result of Melissa's newscast. Let me get this straight. You make $124,000 a year and you don't have to pay your student loans back? I guess you need the money for that cabin up north and that yearly Caribbean vacation. Yep, that's kind of what it is in Joe Biden's world. Let's try to buy votes for the midterm elections. Let's take money Let's uh, from some people. Let's give it to other people. We think this is going to help us get elected. It's fundamentally wrong, but that's not where we're going to start the show off because my blood pressure is already going up over this. What we'll do is, well, we'll ease into that topic. It's coming up in a little bit. So let's let's look at Governor Tony Evers. Two years ago yesterday was the start of the stuff that led to the riots in Kenosha. And yesterday you had Tim Michaels, the Republican candidate, running to replace Tony Evers and Ron Johnson and a couple other officials were down in Kenosha and they were talking about the inadequate response of the Evers administration. Tony Evers says, nothing to see here. Blaming him now, he says, is ridiculous. This is his quotation from yesterday. It's a dead issue. Obviously, we want Kenosha to recover and move to a better place. But at the end of the day, blaming me for that situation is dead wrong and it's politics as usual. That's what he said yesterday. Now, a lot of people have focused on the response the governor had with regard to National Guard troops. The first day, um, they, they sent 125 members of the National Guard on Monday. They increased that to 250 on Tuesday. And then, of course, we know by the third day that it kind of wound down a little bit. That was the night of the Rittenhouse shootings and stuff. Actually, what the governor doesn't talk about, though, with the response of the National Guard, it's the limits that were put on the National Guard. If you remember, what they essentially did is they took the National Guard and they put them behind fences. That They essentially trapped the National Guard members in behind fences surrounding a couple public buildings. So the National Guard wasn't out on the street trying to help apprehend rioters or things like that. Matter of fact, the problem was they just authorities just they were overwhelmed they stood down the national guard's hands were tied and they essentially just allowed the rioting to continue because the rioters outnumbered everyone and part of that was again because the national guard's hands were tied yeah the national guard was there but they're they're behind fences getting bottles thrown at them instead of being out trying to uh, arrest people but that that's that's not really the point evers i want to look at something evers did before that now keep in mind he says he has no regrets, didn't do anything wrong at all. I have in my hands, and if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 we tend to forget these things. What happened that started the riots in Kenosha? It was, as you will recall, it was the arrest and the shooting of a guy named Jacob Blake, 
Remember, that was the that was the catalyst, and then people went out, and they started protesting, and the protests turned into the riots, and the riots turned into the, the looting and the fires and all those sorts of things. And this came on the heels of, uh, again, the, the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis a couple months earlier. But it was the Jacob Blake arrest that started things. Now, what else do we know about the Jacob Blake arrest? Well, we know now in retrospect that the arrest and the shooting was legitimate. Lengthy investigations, thorough investigations by the state, by the local officials, determined that the police officers were reasonable in their response. So this wasn't a rogue police officer. This wasn't, again, there was nothing wrong, we know in retrospect, with what should have happened. And yet, because... You had the whole George Floyd thing going on. You had everybody storming into the streets. The perception that there was something that the Kenosha authorities did incorrectly was what fueled the riot. So what did Governor Evers do? And this is even before the National Guard response. I have in my hands, and again, if you want to read this, again, because people tend to forget, the statement that Tony Evers, the governor of the state, put out the night of the Jacob Blake arrest, an arrest that we subsequently know was, in fact, legitimate. This was not police misconduct. Here is what Evers said. Tonight, Jacob Blake was shot in the back multiple times in broad daylight in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kathy and I join his family, friends, and neighbors in hoping earnestly that he will not succumb to his injuries. While we do not have all the details yet, let me emphasize this. He says, while we do not have all the details yet. Now, let me just go away from this for just a second. If you don't have all the details and you are the governor of the state of Wisconsin and you have a volatile situation in the aftermath of George Floyd, do you think that maybe, just maybe, you should be a responsible grown-up and not pour fuel onto some potential burning embers? We do not have all the details yet. So what does Evers say then? We do not. While we do not have all the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state or our country. So even though we don't have all the details yet, we know he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state and our country. Gee, thanks, Governor Evers. This is exactly the kind of calming response that people would want. But he continues. He continues. We stand with all those who have and continue to demand justice, equity, and accountability for black lives in our country. Lives like those of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, Tony Robinson, Dontre Hamilton, Ernest Lacey, and Slaville Smith. And we stand against excessive use of force and immediate escalation when engaging with black Wisconsinites. I have said all along that although we must offer our empathy, equally important is our action. In the coming days, we will demand just that of elected officials in our state who have failed to recognize the racism in our state and our country for far too long. End of statement. And Tony Evers says, I did nothing wrong. 
All right, you put out an incendiary statement that clearly, while you acknowledge you do not have all the facts, clearly throws fuel on this by implying that once again we have a George Floyd situation. We have another situation where a black man is mercilessly shot at the hands of evil law enforcement. While we don't have all the facts, we stand with people who continue to demand justice. We will demand of our elected officials that they have to recognize the racism in our state and our country for far too long. And it turns out that this was a legitimate arrest and a legitimate use of force. And Governor Evers says, well, you can't blame me for anything. Our number, 855 616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, Tony Evers wasn't there throwing Molotov cocktails on on the first couple nights of the riot. There's no question about it. But how can you put out a statement like this saying we don't know all the facts— but blah, 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 blah. we know that, you know, we've got racism in this country and we stand with these people who have died at the hands of police and we're going to demand this full investigation. Instead of saying, maybe, why doesn't everybody calm down while we try to figure out what it was that happened? 855-616-1620. I'm sorry. Two years later, Tony Evers tries to wash his hands of this whole thing and says, I, I did nothing wrong at all. It's ridiculous to blame me. Well, he didn't help the situation with this statement. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we, we can argue about whether or not the governor sent enough National Guard troops to Kenosha two years ago in a prompt fashion. My, my beef is not so much the number as the fact that they, they had all these different limitations. And th- this is something that the news media doesn't talk about. The National Guard was essentially put behind fences and allowed to have bottles and stuff thrown at them as opposed to being out on the street actively confronting the people who were burning down the buildings. But that's a topic for another day. But Evers says, I did nothing wrong. Well, his first statement, instead of being an effort to try to calm troubled waters, there is no question in my mind that that statement inflamed people in that community. And, and how you can put out a statement like that that says, well, we don't have all the facts, but instead of saying we don't have all the facts, everybody needs to be calm, he goes on with a litany about this is apparently another, even though we don't have the facts, this is another example of all the, these terrible abuses that have been done on black Americans, and this is the different list, and this is the different list, and we're going to have all these investigations and things like that. And, of course, it turns out that the the shooting ultimately was determined to be a legitimate exercise of, of force. And for those who, you know, don't remember this, that the guy who was shot, Jacob Blake, was wanted on a warrant for domestic abuse, sexual assault charges at the time he was involved in another domestic uh, disturbance. He resisted arrest despite being tased. An independent investigation, which cleared the officers of wrongdoing, also noted that he had a knife. Now, Tony Evers didn't know that at the time. But instead of saying we need to be calm while we wait for the results of that investigation, you know, what what, what happened? We, we immediately jump into the frying pan on this because it was pandering to a, a certain, you know, element of his supporters. And even two years later, Evers is unwilling to admit that, well, you know, maybe he made a mistake. Maureen, Maureen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hello, yes. Well, yeah, that's what I called in for. I mean, everyone, we were told once when we were kids, as I recall, that when a police officer tells you to turn around, raise your hands, and not move, we were to do that. Because if we didn't, we have endangered our life and the officers. And that's all these things are. I mean, it's horrible, but it's we know the people, you know. You well, got to do what the officer tells you to do. Well, well th- thanks to call, Maureen. And look, and I'm, I, I understand that there will be excesses that the police engage in. And the George Floyd case is a perfect example of that. But, you know, we, we saw what happened in Minneapolis after George Floyd, which is one of the reasons why it is all the more irresponsible that Tony Evers' default position, knowing that you had a tinderbox, was to essentially come out and and play the race card and help radicalize this when he didn't know all the facts. And I I think there's no question that you can look at these remarks that Evers made. You cannot divorce themselves for those remarks from some of the stuff that that happened. It was irresponsible for him to do that. He's never walked that back. He's never apologized for this. He simply says, well, I I did absolutely nothing wrong. And I hope And a couple of texters are pointing this out. I mean, I I hope when, you know, the analysis of Kenosha comes and the knee-jerk reaction of our governor to this, I mean, I I hope you just put Evers' own words out there and say, okay, this is what the guy said without knowing all the facts. And then three days later, you've got, you know, Kenosha that's burning. You've got the Rittenhouse thing. You've got the mess that, that occurred. And instead of having a governor who's there, again, trying to calm and soothe troubled waters... You've got Evers saying what he said. And then you can analyze the National Guard response and and all that stuff as well. But to simply say, oh, it's two years ago, let's forget it, I I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think there's a lot of stuff that Tony Evers would hope people forget, like closing down this state in the overreaction to COVID and picking the winners and and, and losers. And here, you know, I'm going to appoint a parole commissioner, for example, who's going to let dangerous people out. And then I'm going to fire him because it's an election year and people find out what's going on. It's all these different things that are out there. But it's the two-year anniversary of the Kenosha riots. And like I said, I don't think it's fair to say, you know, Tony Evers wasn't there throwing Molotov cocktails. He mishandled this in a big way. And for him to try to duck responsibility, I'm sorry, he shouldn't be able to do that. And yes, by the way, while the last segment focused on the appalling response of Governor Tony Evers in the immediate wake of the Jacob Blake shooting, Mandela Barnes, he's, he was right in there. This is the man who wants to be the U.S. Senate I, senator. I, I'm, I'm looking at his comments, which were made two years ago today during a news conference. He's talking about the, the shooting of Jacob Blake, which, by the way, was determined to be legitimate. It was investigated, as a matter of fact, by former, Dane, former Madison police chief Noble Ray, and they found that the shooting was legitimate. But Mandela Barnes, in his rush to pander, to play the race card, and again to throw 
oil onto, throw gasoline onto burning embers. This is what he said. This was not an accident. This wasn't bad police work. This felt like some sort of vendetta being taken out on a member of our community. The officer's deadly actions attempted to take a person's life in broad daylight. Barnes also, though, admitted he didn't know the details of, of the shooting. But yet he this is the response that that he takes. So Barnes is no different than Tony Evers. Both of them had an opportunity to try to, again, smooth over troubled waters, and they chose not to do it. They chose instead to pander to a certain constituency. And now they try to do their best Pontius Pilots and wash their hands. Well, you know, you, you can't blame us for anything. Well, maybe if I both of them had been a bit more responsible, called for a degree of restraint Instead of, this is another example of the police shooting an innocent black man, maybe if they had done that, maybe it would not have gotten as out of control as it did. But that's that's Mandela Barnes. That's Tony Evers. Okay, did you say the Brewers are going to be opening? First game is going to be at Wrigley on March 30th. You got that. What could possibly go wrong with that? I mean, <laughs> Bring your shovel. Bring well, your shovel to the ballpark. Well, no, no kidding. Um, I... I just remember, I think we were in Florida, and we came back, for, I think it was March 30th that we came back. It was either the 30th or the 31st, and, and I remember we, we both awakened, my wife and I awakened to like four or five inches of <laughs> snow on the ground, and she looked at me and said, honey, I love you, but I'm going back to Florida, <laughs> and she decided ultimately not to do it. March 30th, yeah. opening on the road at Wrigley. I remember going a couple of years ago, and even though the Brewers are inside, you're still tailgating in the parking lot where it's freezing. We were huddled around a propane grill for the home opener, and we're like, maybe we we should go inside the stadium. <laughs> well, right, but, but at least, right, at least there, and see, that's the beauty of Miller yeah. Park, that you have this inside that you can go to <laughs> where the roof is going to be closed. So at Wrigley Field, there, there's just nowhere to go for relief except it's, maybe the bathroom. Especially with the Cubs not having a great season this year, and who knows how good they're going to be next year, and that's coming from a Cubs fan's perspective. So they're not a very good baseball team. I don't know how many people are going to be willing to sit in the cold to watch them. It might yeah. be just a lot of Wisconsinites down there for this season I, opener. I, I, I don't know, but still, it's it's March 30th. See, I have always <laughs> believed that Major League Baseball, I understand they insist on playing 162 games, but it would seem to me in early spring what you want to do is you want to have the teams that are are up north that do not have a, like a dome stadium like like the Brewers. You you want to have the games being played in the South. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't you don't open in Chicago. You open in Arizona <laughs> or you open in the, on the West Coast or something like that, where the or Miami or whatever, where the chances are that the weather is going to be a tad better. But I guess I guess people know better in Major League Baseball. March thirtieth, Brewers outside at Wrigley. Yeah. Well, then we, what did we say? April third, I think, is going to be the Brewers home opener against the Mets. So you got a little bit of time in there before you can uh, you can hit the Miller Park. Uh, excuse me. American American Family Field parking lot. Yeah, but again, I'm not so much concerned about the parking lot. I mean, I'm concerned about sitting through the, those games. Mm-hmm. They're opening on the road. All right, that's great. When we come back, why is this guy not in jail? I'll tell you the story. The Southern Gunslinger is back where he belongs. Hall of Famer Brett Favre joins Mark Chamora every Monday morning. 7.30 on 94.5 ESPN throughout the football season. Hear the best green and gold talk, and don't miss a recap on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 5.15. It's Brett Favre and Mark Chamora every Monday, presented by Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin and sponsored by Concordia University and Pella Windows and Doors. 
of Wisconsin. I, I made an executive decision. I know a number of you are texting me saying, are we going to talk about the student loan decision? We, we will. We discussed it for a little bit on yesterday's program during the 1 o'clock hour. We are going to set aside some time in the 2 o'clock hour, at the start of the 2 o'clock hour, to have that conversation. And I, I, I know – see, I, I understand, and I've been doing this long enough to know how, how radio listening works, and there's, there's some of you who – Turn on the radio to WTMJ at 6 o'clock in the morning when you wake up, and you keep it on till, till midnight when you go to sleep. And to which I say, you know, thank you. I'm glad. But a lot of people come in and out. And I know listening habits are different. We, we have lots and lots of people, for example, who listen during the 12 o'clock hour on, on their lunch hour. And then they, they've got to go back to work, and they're not able to listen as much. We have people that come in at 2 o'clock hour. So we have people that listen at all different times. And that's why when we have some of these big issues— um, that I feel very strongly about, and I know people feel very passionately about. I, I try to do them in, in different segments in different times. So like I say, yesterday we talked a little bit about the student loan stuff at during the 1 o'clock hour. Now it is becoming a reality. We will spend a portion, maybe a good portion, of the 2 o'clock hour discussing that. So that stick around. That's when that conversation comes up. All right. Uh, kudos to uh, Channel 6, Fox 6, which I think of the different TV stations, in my opinion, has been doing the, the best job of, of I, I don't, taking up a challenge that I, I put out a while ago, which was to really try to focus on the out-of-control crime in this, in this community and look – behind just the, oh, somebody has been charged with this. But, you know, what? what's the person's record? Why were they out on the streets? And, and raising some of those provocative sort of questions. Because when we had the Waukesha Christmas Parade massacre, and it turns out that the guy was out on a stupid low bail when he killed six people and injured dozens and dozens more, the, the, the response from the district attorney's office was, this was an aberration. Oh, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is, no, it wasn't an aberration. This type of stuff happens on a daily basis. Now, not to the extent that you have the guy who's out on a stupid low bail who goes out and kills six people and injures dozens and dozens more, but there are people out on stupid low bails or out on probation or things like that who are out committing crimes on a daily sort of basis, and they're allowed to continue to do it. And so, I mean, I think the challenge now for the news media, and it, this this runs afoul of, I think, some of the, the attitudes there, which are, in, at least particularly in the newspaper, it's like, well, you know, we 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 hate to say that, you know, maybe the criminal justice system isn't working because the criminal justice system isn't working. But I, I applaud at least some of these efforts to go beyond just the, oh, you, you had a guy who was, you know, involved in a reckless driving and somebody's dead and now they've been charged. So here's the latest story. Milwaukee, this is the headline, and, this, and I, matter of fact, I have a link to this story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 And when you get there, you'll also be able to see, so you understand that I was not taking it out of context, the text of the remarks that Governor Evers made right before the riots in Kenosha that he now says, well, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but got that up there. But also, this is the story. Milwaukee fatal crash. Man accused driving 100 miles prior to impact. All right, Vincent King of Milwaukee. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. If you have about 15 minutes of your life to kill, go to go to Wisconsin Circuit Court Access, which is where you can check the, the criminal records 
And it's an, it's an imprecise way, but you can see the criminal records of, of various people. So put in 29-year-old Vincent King of Milwaukee, if you have about 15 minutes, because I guarantee you it is an interesting read to go through the guy's various contacts with the law. Now, there's a lot of them that are up there, including lots of traffic stuff, lots of misdemeanor retail theft and stuff. It's not the worst criminal record I have ever seen, but I've seen some really bad ones. But it is an extensive criminal record. So anyhow, Vincent King of Milwaukee is charged in an August 12th crash near Fond du Lac and Congress that killed a 71-year-old man. Prosecutors say he was going 94 miles per hour a half second before the crash. 94 miles an hour near Fond du Lac and Congress. According to the criminal complaint, Milwaukee police responded to a fatal crash at Fond du Lac and Congress around 8 p.m. on Friday, August 12th. Okay, so this is Friday night couple weeks ago, it's 8 o'clock at night. You know, that could have been you coming home from work. It could have been your spouse bringing your kid back from, you know, baseball practice or band practice or, or whatever. It could have been you taking your family out to a fish fry. It could have been you bringing your family home from a fish fry. This is not 3 in the morning. This is 8 o'clock at night. Police say a 71-year-old Malky man was headed west when he was hit by another vehicle driven by King, he was taken to the hospital, died from his injuries. The complaint indicates King suffered a broken leg and a fractured hip in the wreck. His passenger suffered a broken arm. Police recovered surveillance video from the Taco Bell on West Fond du Lac Avenue. While it did not capture the actual collision, the complaint against King says it did capture events before and after the collision. It was apparent King's vehicle had been traveling at a high rate of speed. Police spoke with a firefighter who was on the crash scene. That firefighter stated that while he was attempting to extract the driver, Vincent King, from the charger, he located a firearm under the driver's butt. So the guy, he's got a gun. He's got, like I say, it's not the worst criminal record I've seen, but it's a lengthy criminal record. He's driving 90-some miles an hour, and he's hit and killed somebody, and he's got a gun. All right. On August 13th, that's the next day, the airbag module control module was recovered from King's car. The data recovered from the module indicates King's vehicle steadily increases in speed to 100 miles per hour. And the accelerator remains at or near 100 percent immediately before the wreck. So he's driving 100 miles an hour and It does not appear that in any sort of material way he slows down before he hits and kills the 71-year-old man because the the technology says 94 miles an hour at impact. So maybe he tapped the brakes. Maybe he just took the foot off the accelerator. But somebody's dead. Oh, by the way, the posted speed limits on West Fond du Lac Avenue where the crash occurred, 35 miles an hour. So he is driving Closer to three times the less the limit the speed limit than closer to twice of this. All right, so here's the other dazzling detail. So you got the guy, lengthy criminal record. I, I'm willing to bet because some of the stuff is traffic related. I'm willing to bet there's no driver's license involved here. Going almost 100 miles an hour, hits and kills somebody, 
in possession of a firearm. All right, here's the dazzling detail. He's now been charged. He is not in police custody. He is not in police custody. And he's now facing various counts, second-degree reckless homicide, second-degree reckless injury, possession of a firearm by a felon. Oh, I didn't even see that. He's a felon, and he's got a gun. All right, so I I raise this question. Why in God's green earth is this guy not in jail? Why? I know I understand he he was injured as a result of his reckless behavior, but but I mean he essentially kind of limped away with it with a broken leg and a fractured hip. But why wasn't this guy immediately taken into custody? You know he is a felon in possession of a gun. Okay, so that's that's number one. That in and of itself, you've got a felon in possession of a gun. You would think that immediately that would be a basis to have you arrested. But beyond that, you've got somebody dead. It is apparent on the scene that the person is dead because this other guy, the felon in possession of a gun, is driving at a reckless rate of speed. Now, admittedly, until they got the technology, until they got the data the next day, they didn't know it was 100 miles an hour, but they knew it was really, really fast. And he's not in custody, at least according to the Channel 6 report. Not in custody. All right. Maybe he's still in the hospital. So maybe they're, they're going to be able to find him pretty soon. But the bottom line is, this is one of these situations where the minute this accident happened, the minute they determined that he was a felon in possession of a firearm, he should have been placed under arrest. The minute they figured out that the person he hit was dead, now they didn't know that on the scene, they took him to the hospital, but they knew it in a couple hours, that this man should have been taken into custody. He should be in police custody right now. And when he appears in front of a court commissioner or a judge or whatever, if they set a bail that is anything less than, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars, it will be an absolute outrage. Like I say, you look at this guy's record, you look at the circumstances, and the fact that he wasn't arrested on the scene. Now, I understand you're going to take him to the hospital, but as soon as he's released from the hospital, boom, he goes to jail. He goes directly to jail. He doesn't pass go. And yet, at least according to court records, he's not in custody at this moment. Hopefully, that will change, well, any minute now. We have a news flash. The governor of the state of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, almost at the conclusion of his term, has now realized that taxes in Wisconsin are, are too high. I just, some, of, some of this stuff... And when it comes to election year pandering, is just so incredibly obvious that, that you just hope that people don't don't guppy on this stuff. For the last four years, Tony Evers has had no interest at all in reducing the burden of taxes on on people in Wisconsin. As a matter of fact, if you look at a number of his proposals, they have if he would have gotten his way. Thankfully, the Republicans in the legislature stopped it. But if he would have gotten his way, we would be paying, well, probably close to a billion dollars even more in taxes than we are already paying. But that's just his default position. Let's tax and tax and tax, and let's pour money into these government programs, regardless of whether the whether the programs work or, or not. And, and yes, we'll look at cutting the minimum markup law. Jeff, you think that's a good idea. I do. But at the same time, we're also then going to increase the gas tax by an equal amount to kind of make up for any savings. That is what we have been dealing with 
for the last three and a half years. Well, we've got an election coming up in what going on a little bit over two months. The race between Tim Michaels and Tony Evers is is neck and neck. You know, you can figure out right now. I don't think anybody could tell you reliably who is ahead in that particular race. So Tony Evers, recognizing that inflation has been just absolutely decimating people of Wisconsin over the course of the last several months. And by the way, this is the same Tony Evers who, you know, came out with much fanfare and called for a moratorium on the federal gas tax, but was amazingly silent on a moratorium on the 33 cent a gallon state sales taxes that are, that are out there. But now Tony Evers ha- has had a conversion. He, he's awakened. He has been reborn. And he now recognizes that taxes are too high. So yesterday, I don't know, with his first term expiring, Tony Evers comes out and says, we, we've got this huge budget surplus that, that, that's there. You know, we're, we're looking at maybe a 3.8, let's round it up to $4 billion budget surplus, which means the state has taken more of our money than it needs. So Tony Evers, now with two, a couple months left in his term and two months before the election, he's decided, well, I think we need to cut taxes. Well, that, that's good, Tony. A lot of us have been saying that for the last three years. You know, where have you been on these things? So now he's saying, okay, well, th- this is what I want to do. I want to cut taxes. I want a 10% tax cut for single filers. I want a 10% tax cut for married joint filers below $150,000. I, I, I want to cut taxes. I am all in favor of cutting taxes. Don't, don't get me wrong. But these election year conversions, and you look at Tony Evers' history, Tony Evers is a tax and a spender. He understands he is vulnerable on this. He understands that he has done absolutely nothing or almost nothing to try to rein in costs and you know deal and help deal with average Wisconsinites over the course of like the last year or two. And so now recognizing that this is an issue, his polling people are obviously out there telling him, well, you're vulnerable on, on this thing because inflation is the number one issue and you know people are upset with this and we need to get tax relief. So now in, in again, the waning days of the campaign and the waning days of his first term, now he is born again and this is what we want to do. We want to reduce taxes. Well, I, pay attention because I come this way but once. If, and I, I think it is very, very fair to have an overall discussion of taxation in Wisconsin. And I'm also in favor, whether it's Evers' proposal or or other similar proposals, I am in favor of reducing taxes, and I'm probably in favor of reducing taxes a lot more than Evers is even talking about. But Evers is not the guy to trust to do this. What we need to do is, after the elections in January, sit down and take an overall broad look at the income tax structure in Wisconsin, who pays what, who is paying too much, how to get relief, and then go about a long-term form of re assessing our taxes. That's what needs to be done, not one of these, I'm trying for a headline, I want to try to deflect the issue of inflation, so even though my entire career has been based on raising people's taxes, even though my budget proposals have been based on raising people's taxes, now I'm going to try to convince people that I'm actually about reducing them. Well, no, let's wait till January. Now, if Evers wins, and I don't know if he's going to win or not, we will see if come January, 
Hillary, he has the same vigor, the same commitment to taxes. My guess would be that even if you were to reduce taxes now, Tony Evers would do everything he can if he is reelected to re-up and reinstitute taxes because that's who Tony Evers is. That's who his career has been. So I'm all in favor of reducing taxes. I think what you need to do, though, is let's take a measured look. Let's figure out what the best way to do it to make this a sustainable sort of fashion. Let's look at how we're taxing senior citizens. Let's look at are there things we can do to make sure that we don't have people leaving Wisconsin. Let's look at competitive tax rates. But, you know, Tony Evers recognizing, hey, taxes are a big problem. Hey, we've collected way too much money. We need to do something about it. Well, okay, maybe you should have thought of that a couple years ago. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Alex Crow. before you leave, you ever been to a Waffle House? I have been to a Waffle House. I I love I love me waffle houses. I, I, I just do. Where 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 were you when you were one? I wanna say Georgia. My family drove all the way down to Tybee Island and we stopped somewhere in there. I'm not I'm not exactly sure where well, at in okay, Georgia. For people who aren't familiar with waffle houses, imagine kind of a low rent George Webbs is how I would sort of mm-hmm. describe it. You know, and but they're they are all over in the South. Mm-hmm. I mean they're all over in the South. You um, they, they don't have any in Wisconsin. I don't know that they have any in Illinois. I know um, Ohio, because I went to the Hall of Fame thing when Brett Favre was admitted to the Hall of Fame, and I I, I remember eating at a Waffle House okay. there. But but there's actually um, there, there's a whole bunch. There, there's several Waffle Houses mm-hmm. close to where I hang out in Florida. So, and matter of fact, this year I took my nephew. He, he was a he, <laughs> my my uh, sophomore in high school nephew was a Waffle House virgin. So I took him to, to the First Waffle time. House. First time, and actually, and I told the woman behind the who was like the the waitress and stuff, and she came out and gave him a Waffle House hat, you know. So it was that was it was cool. But Waffle Houses are they're they're ubiquitous in in the South, and I mean, it's if if you're if you're on a keto diet or. Um, you're gluten free. There, there's nothing you can eat on the menu. I mean, it, it's essentially it's waffles, it's eggs, it's bacon, it's sausage, and any combination thereof. Mm-hmm. But that, but they're open 24 hours. And matter of fact, the federal government. One of the things that one of the indicators. This is an honest, goodness, true story. One of the things they do in terms of natural disasters mm-hmm. is they look at whether waffle houses close because yeah. if waffle houses close, that hurricane must be really bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the indicators. They had uh, they had the director of FEMA on years ago on on the NPR weekend show. Wait, wait, don't tell me. I used to listen to it while I was running, so I learned that when I was there. I'm like, there's no way that's real. Looked it up, and sure enough, sure, that's know, a real thing that no, they do. No, <laughs> it is. So, But anyhow, why am I asking you about Waffle Houses? Here, here's the story. I think these guys are in trouble. Two Marines dine and dash at a Waffle House, then vandalize a helicopter. Two U.S. Marines damaged a helicopter just after dining and dashing at a Waffle House in North Carolina. The act of vandalism left the helicopter with broken windows and about $1,000 in damage on Saturday, August 20th, according to police um, in Havelock, North Carolina. The eastern North Carolina city is home to the U.S. Marine Base Air Station, Cherry Point. So that's where this is. Mm -hmm. The damage was reported after a video captured two men walking up to the helicopter, which was on display outside the Tourist and Events Center in the city. 
Officials said the men climbed into the RF-4B Phantom 2 plane, took photos. Both men are accused of trying to spin the blades of the helicopter and getting inside the aircraft. This particular aircraft means a lot to the eastern North Carolina because of all the lives over the years that they've rescued or gotten out of hurricane situations. The vandalism was reported about 3 a.m., so my, my guess is that alcohol was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but Usually is with Waffle House, isn't it? Well, right, right. Cause two in the morning, <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to go to Waffle <laughs> but, but here's where the Waffle House comes in. So these guys go, they vandalize the helicopter. Mm-hmm. All right. So vandalism was reported about 3 a.m., roughly an hour after officials said the same two guys ate at a Waffle House. Photos posted to Facebook appear to show one of the suspects at the restaurant wearing a sweatshirt with the letters USMC, you know, an abbreviation for the Marine Corps. Oh, man. So, right, so they're dumb on top of this. Two males walked out of the restaurant without paying for their food. So who dines and dashes at a Waffle House? I mean, you you got to work to run up a tab of more than <laughs> six or seven bucks at, at the wa- Waffle House. Who dines and dashes at a Waffle House? I mean, that's also like you and I committing crimes in our WTMJ polos right, just right. for everyone to see <laughs> yeah, yeah, who our exactly. employer is. <laughs> so two males walked out of the restaurant without paying for their food. The police department wrote on it right on a Facebook page. Waffle House reviewed their video camera footage. Yeah, okay, right. So that's another thing. They've got video cameras there. Every okay. one of them. Right. Waffle House reviewed their video camera footage and recognized the two males from the tourist and event center footage. So they, of course, <laughs> then call up the, the cops and say, hey, we've got these same guys. Now officials credit the unpaid Waffle House bill and investigative work with helping them identify two suspects. The men were charged with injury to real property and disorderly conduct. The men went back to chair point ahead of a September date. My guess is these guys are in a bit of trouble. I, that would yeah. just be my guess. I don't think that September date is going to be very good for them. And also, this is when the police put out uh, an, an APB. If you're a restaurant in the area, if there were any crimes committed in your area, just maybe review the footage. We might have the guys who did it. Right, because, if and see, this is the interesting thing, and it, it's why karma is such a you-know-what, because if, if they hadn't dined and dashed at the Waffle House, the Waffle House people would have never gone back and looked at the video, and mm-hmm. it would be much tougher to identify who these two yo-yos were. But because they decided to skip out, and, and again, I, 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 you could order everything on the <laughs> Waffle House menu, and you, you probably couldn't drop more than, than 15 bucks yeah. if you ordered everything on the menu. They really wanted those waffles, Jeff. I don't know. I don't know. And they just didn't feel like paying for it either, I guess. All right. So that's my – see, that's what we need to do. If they ever bring Waffle Houses to Wisconsin, we we need to – I want to be an endorser for Waffle Houses because I love – Love, love, love Waffle Houses. I don't, I don't know, man. The, the George Webb industry might be, uh, the lobby industry might be too big here. I don't know if there's there's enough room for two of those guys in the same state. Okay, so I'll tell you that. But <laughs> I, I've got serious stuff. But as long as we're on the, so, so I take my nephew, Alex, to the Waffle House. Mm-hmm. We break him in at the Waffle House. And, and, and again, it's, it, it is what it is. Okay, you're, you're not going there for, for fine dining or anything like that. The next day, I take him down to a place outside of Naples. And, and it's a it's a diner that's called Joe's Diner, is what I think. Joe's Diner. But it's in this little strip mall, but it, it's, in my opinion, it's one of the best breakfast places to go in the country. It, it's, it's that good. So I'm feeling bad that I've taken him to, like, the Waffle House. So I take him down down to Joe's. Now, you go into this place, and everything's fresh, and it's just it's great. It's a little place you can sit outside if you want and all, and it's kind of a hole in the wall. But they on the menu, they have... You, you what you want to do is you you want to get the omelets you want to get mm-hmm. the the breakfast stuff they do this well but they have they have stuff to attract the tourists i guess is how i would put it they have this thing called the fat elvis 
All right. So what it is is it's French toast stuffed with bacon and bananas. Mm, yeah, the Elvis style. Right, nice. stuffed with bacon and bananas and then covered in – oh, it's covered covered in honey. And then you put syrup on top of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And I mean, I mean it, it, I, I, okay, so my, my nephew who – you know, is a wonderful kid, but sometimes, you know, just, he's like, I want the fat Elvis. And I'm going, what do you mean you want the fat? And I say to the waiter, I said, does anybody ever order this? And he says, well, yeah, occasionally people do. I said, does everybody order it ever more than once? And he's like, there's this kind of like this silence. So Alex goes ahead, he orders the fat Elvis mm-hmm. and instead of, you know, having one of these nice omelets and stuff like that. And it, it you know, he takes about three bites of it and it's, it's, it's exactly this French toast stuffed with bananas and bacon and covered in honey and maple syrup. And it's like a heart attack waiting to happen. And mm-hmm. it's rich and good. And he takes about three bites and then realizes that Uncle Jeff was right. And he should have taken <laughs> should have taken the omelet. So, um, But that's what I did to try to make up for taking him to the, uh, the, the Waffle House. There was no sharing from Uncle Jeff in that moment, right? You made your bed, you lay in it. This is, this oh, well, is my omelet. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's... I mean, the thing was disgusting, but it's not It's not like it's a surprise. You know? I mean, it's, it's, you knew this. And I'm thinking, honey, and then they put maple syrup on it and bananas. Yeah. And, oh, there's peanut butter in it, too. I forget. <laughs> honest to God, there was peanut butter. Like, it was peanut butter, bananas, and bacon stuffed into the French toast, covered with honey, and then you put maple syrup on top of I'd it. I'd have to come with like a gallon of water just to sw- I, swallow that. Well, I that mean, was... The peanut I, I, butter, oh, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure I want the kid in my car after you eat any of that because, I mean, this is just... I, I mean, it's just, for me, it's a heart attack waiting to happen. But for anybody, you know, it's like, I don't feel very good. Well, of course you're not going to feel very good. In any event, that's the Waffle House story. And that's the Fat Elvis story. When we come back, let's talk about California. Do not, do not California my Wisconsin. The 2022 WTMJ Classic, hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, was a huge success. Thanks to all those who helped us raise money for Special Olympics Wisconsin, and a special thanks to our partners, Culligan Water, Dave Drape, Camp Heating, Evans Transportation, Griffin Automotive, Gruber Law Offices, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, Selzer Ornst, and Sit Means Sit Dog Training. Hearing now from a lot of fans of the Waffle House. <laughs> you know, Jeff, Southern Illinois has them. All right, so that's good. Now, I'm not going to drive to Southern Illinois for a Waffle House, but if if one's close by, I think I will go there. Um, Let's see. Um, Jeff, now I want a pecan waffle. (laughs) There you go. On major roads in the Deep South, you almost can't get out of view of a tall Waffle House sign without seeing the next one up ahead. And also, they're so tiny, each one seems to have its own regular local patrons, just like the neighborhood corner bars in Midwestern cities. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think they have a very, very loyal following. Somebody points out, well, Jeff, you said it's not good for keto keto diets because, like, eggs and and bacon and sausage are staples of keto. But, yeah, but, yeah, haven't been to a Waffle House because waffles and potatoes and pancakes, th- those aren't. And I don't see too many people. It's, it's tough to get out of a Waffle House without, you know, having having some carbs. But bottom line is, if you're ever traveling and you see one, don't expect fine dining. But they are they are an experience, I guess. And I think everybody should experience the Waffle House at least once. And for those of us who like it, well, we experience it more than that. All right. Should we California our Wisconsin? Now, California is, of course, one of those states that views itself in the, as being a leader in the politically correct, the socially aware, and 
if it's trendy, California wants to to do it. And generally speaking, I, I think it ends up working bad, working out badly. Here, let's make it more difficult to have coal-fired electric plants, or let's crack down on natural gas. No new homes built with natural gas. And then, you know, they wonder why they have brownouts, because they can't generate enough electricity and things like that. It's also one of the reasons I think you see California, for the first time in a long time, now having a net exodus of people as, as they bail. But that doesn't stop California from being, again, political correct. Here's the latest example. Electric vehicles. Now, I know I know you might own an electric vehicle. I know that this is there is a push out there for people to own electric vehicles. And I, I my reservations, and we have talked about this on multiple occasions, I am nowhere close to buying an electric vehicle. I, I'm I'm just not. I don't think for me And the uses I have for cars, it's just I I have too many reservations about it. There's not enough charging stations for them. The battery life for me is not good enough. Um, There's all these different concerns. I mean, I I, I don't want to wait six hours to fully recharge a car. I don't want to buy a car that, for example, if I decide I want to drive it to Minneapolis to visit somebody, that I'm not able to take it that far. Because if it's winter and, you know, it puts more strain on the heater, it might run out. I just, I'm not ready for it. If you are, go with God. I, I have no problem with that. But to me, we are not there with the electric car industry. And I say that knowing a friend of mine you know, just, just bought one, just bought one the other day, paid a lot of money for a car, and, and, and that's fine, but he's going to use it to essentially you know, drive around the, the area. He's going to use it to drive downtown. He's going to use it to you know, commute to, the, to drive to the south side to visit people. He's going to keep it in this immediate area, and, and that's okay. And, and so that, that's fine. He's willing to pay the money for it, and I don't begrudge it. But that's the choice that he is making, just like I make the choice to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to continue to buy the internal combustion vehicle. If you live in California— you are not going to have that option within about the next decade. Here is this story. Starting tomorrow, California will put into effect its sweeping plan to prohibit the sale of new gasoline-powered cars by 2035. California will now be the only government in the world that will mandate zero-emission vehicles. The rule which is being issued by the California Air Resources Board, will require that 100% of all new cars, doesn't apply to use, but all new cars sold in the state by 2035 be free of the fossil fuel emissions chiefly responsible for warming the planet, up from 12% today. It sets interim targets requiring that 35% of new passenger vehicles sold in the state by 2026 produce zero emissions. That would climb to 68% by 2030. All right, so they're anticipating that once California does this, maybe you're going to have a dozen other states that will follow California's lead. So no new gasoline-powered cars. 12 years from now. Now, presumably, if you've got one, you can continue to drive it. I don't know whether 
And I, I would imagine you should be still able to sell your gasoline-powered car. So if you've got a 2030 gasoline-powered car and you're in California, my guess is you would still be able to sell it. What I don't know is if you buy a car in Wisconsin in 2035, it's new, you drive it to California, and then you try to sell it, whether you could sell it or not. My guess would be no. But here you have the government saying these are the only type of cars that people are going to be able to drive about a decade from now. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the role of the government? Now, I understand it's one thing to do what essentially Biden is doing, which is we're going to create all these financial incentives, ready or not, to try to encourage people to buy electric cars. Right, that's fine. I understand that you've got some of these car manufacturers who, because of government emission standards and requirements, they're, they're just— they're stuck with having to produce more electric vehicles to meet the the mileage requirements. Okay, but this is the government coming out and saying you cannot buy a new car that is gasoline driven. Is that the role of the government? And should we be looking at doing something like that, say, in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Don in Brookfield. Don, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Don. Hi, Jeff. Okay, so California says no new gasoline-powered cars after 2035. Did they also announce how many new power plants they're going to be building between now and then to power these vehicles? Because doesn't it take typically 10 to 15 years to design and construct a power plant? Well, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that you should mention that because the last nuclear plant in California is scheduled to go offline like about a year from now. And now they're in pan- they're panic mode and they're scrambling to see if they can figure out a way to continue that. Well, you know, that's a very interesting question, Don. You know, this idea that here we're, we're going to say we're going to have the government say you can't sell these, you can't buy these these cars anymore, but there's no thought as to how are we going to pair up power the electric cars? Where are we going to get the lithium for the batteries? All those different things. It, it sounds good, but and, how does it work in real life? Right. And the power grid in California right now is more fragile than any eggshell. Right. Right. And I guess I, I think, you know, Don, I guess I'm just a free market guy. I, I fully appreciate that there's going to be a time when electric cars come down in price without government subsidies. And we, we get to a point where there's going to be enough electricity to power them and the battery life is going to make sense. And, and maybe we'll be there in 10 years or not. But for the government to just pick arbitrary dates and says this, say this is it, I, I just I think it's irresponsible at best. Right. Yeah. Now, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I want to see those electric trucks plow snow for 12 to 16 hours. And by the way, haul two tons of salt or liquid de-icer. California controls too much the par- the ports, the politics, and not what the uh, what the rest of the country should be. Choose electric, not force it on all of us. Yeah, I mean, you're already seeing that in so many other things. 
you know, natural gas, for example, is very, very clean. Natural gas is, I think you would argue, from an environmental perspective, it's a, it's cheap. It's a good alternative to coal. Well, in some communities in Southern, in California, like around San Francisco, if you build a new home, you can't even install natural gas. You, you can't put a natural gas furnace in. It has to be electric heat. So we're putting all these things saying, okay, we, we want electric heat. You know, it's all got to be electricity. But to Don's point, nobody's discussing the whole concept of where where is that going to come from, um, yeah, which is, I think, a, a very, very Good question. Jeff, California says you're only allowed to flush your toilet two times a day, and each person should get one roll of toilet paper a week. Well, I think those are the things that, you know, you're starting to see about this. Again, allow this to be the free market. Now, one of our texters says, well, I mean, government bans this stuff all the time. How about when ATVs were banned, three-wheel ATVs? Well, of course, that's a safety matter. That's we're not talking about something where the government's come in and said this is unsafe. So you've got the Consumer Product Safety Commission saying uh, lawn darts. Remember those charts? I used to play with darts all the, the the lawn darts all the time. But now we can't sell those because they're 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 too dangerous because people were throwing them at each other. Um, Freon formula for the older air conditioning units. That's now that's a fair example. You know you do have the government, and but in that case you've got the federal government stepping in and saying, okay, we're not going to have the Freon. But this is a point where again I just don't know that there's any guarantee that the electric car technology is going to be ready for this. And again, I'm I'm a free market guy. If you want to go out like my buddy did and, and buy an electric car, go buy an electric car. I, I'm not going to criticize it. I, I think that that's fine. But recognize, you know, what it is that you're getting into. But you don't have to have the government tell you that you don't have the choice to buy, you know, a regular gasoline-powered vehicle. And as we've talked about, and I gave you that example before, remember there was the story about the the high school kid who, with the help of his parents, they bought – he bought a car – and I'm trying to think, it was like, I want to say it was a Ford Fusion, like five or six years old, bought it, the battery immediately died or died within a couple months, and they told him, okay, this car that you paid $11,000 for, the battery's going to cost you 14000 And then they told him, oh, never mind, um, you because we, they don't even make those batteries anymore. So in other words, you are just completely and totally, you're, you're out of luck with, with this whole thing. You're, you're out of luck, huh? So... How are we going to deal with all that? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call again. I'm wondering the old saying, I'm wondering when the old saying kicks in that you and Charlie Sykes used to mention. Um, When Governor Newsom leaves California as the last person, who's going to turn out the lights? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they might not even be able to turn the lights on because they're not going to have a power grid to power them up. Then there's the other side of the equation is is that they don't have the infrastructure for these cars. This is Big Brother saying what a free American can and can't do. California, what I've been seeing now, and it's easy to check, in the last four or five years, has a net population loss of about a half a million a year. And people are just saying, 
no, we don't like this Petri dish, this experimental project. We're moving to Texas. We're moving to Florida. We're moving to wherever, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Arizona, yeah, absolutely. I guess that's my comment. No, no, thanks. Well, you're you're absolutely right. It's this, and again, I'm not anti, I'm getting some text saying, suggesting I'm anti-electric car. I'm not. It's not right for me right now. It doesn't meet my needs. And and maybe in the next decade, they'll have all the bugs worked out. I mean, I look, if, if I'm driving on the highway, I don't want to have to stop and, and wait an hour to get my car recharged or, or more than that. I want to do like I do now. I want to pull into the gas station, you know, go in, get a cup of coffee, fill, go to the bathroom. And, and in the space of three or four minutes, I want to have a gas tank that's full and I'm back out on the road again. Now, I understand right now to me, electric cars are a niche. For, for most people, they're fine if you're going to, like, drive around town and things like that. They're not practical at all if you want to take them on long trips. I don't know how practical they are right now in places like Wisconsin, where you've got Wisconsin winters, if you want to take them even on moderately long drives because of, like, the extra burden that you're going to put on the, the batteries if you're running the heaters and stuff. But if you want to do it, that that's okay. And maybe the technology is going to develop. Maybe the grid is going to develop. Maybe this is going to be the thing, and maybe I'll figure out that it makes sense 10 years from now. But this idea that the government is going to tell me that I do not have the choice to make, I think that's that's ridiculous. Mike on the east side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Jeff. Okay, so I haven't heard anybody say it, so I don't think anybody has yet. Um, what's going to happen to the auto industry when people in the state the size of California can't buy a car with gasoline anymore. And by the way, how many people do you think will make that up by buying an electric car? Like you said, okay, so you can go 160 miles if you charge your car for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's going nowhere. You know, you want to go to Madison? Fine. You want to go to Green Bay? Eh, Yeah. (laughs) You want to come back home? Yeah. I'm talking about you're not going anywhere. Right. And and the bottom line is people don't, especially in a state like California, they're not going to buy a car that's going to do that. So the auto industry, in my opinion, is going to suffer tremendously. And what does that do to our economy? You know, as far as uh, the United States, I mean, when the auto industry suffers, we all suffer. It seems like that's always been that way. Well, well, Mike, you're already seeing that. Ford just announced either late last week or early this week, I, I forget which, that, that they're laying off like several thousand employees as they start their process of, of transitioning to the manufacture of these electric vehicles. And See, I'm also wondering, seriously, where are you going to get the batteries? Where are you going to get the lithium that, that drives these batteries? Where th- these are These are great concepts, but... I just I don't think we're going to be ready in five or ten years. But regardless, I just don't think it's the government's role to tell you you don't have a choice anymore. Absolutely. No, thanks Thank for calling. No, I, I appreciate it. And I mean, what what is this going to do for the auto industry? Like I say, Ford just laid off thousands of workers, and one of the things they said is we're we're transitioning into this electric car thing, and, and but we're not ready for it. And and a, a number of people are raising the points that it's, I and I. I think this just applies to cars because yeah, nobody's talking about electric trucks or anything like that. We we certainly don't have the technology now to use 
uh, to, to convert all our, our diesel-powered trucks to, you know, electric. So that's way down the road. Again, again, the bottom line of this is just let the free market take over. Now, we've been trying to juice this for the last couple of years, and that's what Biden's doing. That's what the, the latest bill that they passed does. It provides cash in. It provides incentives to, you know, encourage people to buy the electric cars, which is great until, again, the, the battery goes bust or, or something like that, or you realize, hey, I'm up in Green Bay, and I want to turn around, and I want to come back, and now I don't know how far I'm going to be able to get, and I don't know where the charging stations are. And once I find this charging station, I'm not sure I really want to sit there for three or four hours. To me, those are all factors as to why I'm not ready to buy an electric car. But if you got it, that, that's fine. If you're willing to deal with that aggravation, that's fine. To me, life is too short. But I don't want the government telling me I have to do it. But that was truly one of the things I love about doing a live radio show is that you you just never know what what stuff's going to happen and you you never know that's I love the thing about the call-in show you you never know who's going to call in and hey we've got the fire chief on the line he wants to talk about stuff that you're talking about or or you know occasionally you'll have people or the objects of the show it's it's very very interesting and you just never know what's going to happen I have to tell you that was just a genuinely weird experience because what what but behind the scenes, our, our news department had said, well, President Biden's going to be coming on. He's going to be having a news conference. He's going to be talking about the student loan stuff. And my reaction was, well, okay, are we going to cut in and carry this? Because we, we know what, what's in there. But but okay, that, that that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll go along. So he comes on. I cut in. And, and I fully expected him to be saying, okay, this is our plan. And this is what we're going to do. This is it. And you've got an 80-year-old guy who's telling stories about you know driving driving the family car and you know driving the 55 Plymouth when he's a teen I mean it's just that was kind of a an, an odd sort of sort of moment there and it wasn't exactly what I expected and we'll continue to bring you the you know <laughs> updated sort of thing but it was just kind of this weird sort of thing that you've got old Joe there and he's this it's kind of story time with with the president as opposed to here's what we're going to do and we're going to you know and I, I would hope that at some point in time he'll get into the justifications but again we, we've kicked this this whole thing around I think people know what's coming up we are going to discuss this in detail coming up in just a couple minutes that the, the plan is essentially that People who have taken out student loans, and let's not talk about Pell Grants, but just the regular student loans, Joe Biden is forgiving $10,000 of that debt. He's going to wave his magic wand um, and forgive it. The estimates are that's going to cost taxpayers somewhere in the neighborhood of $230 billion. The estimates also is that this is going to be incredibly inflationary because now people aren't going to have to pay back their loans. So what they're going to do is they're going to spend that money on other things. Joe Biden obviously views this as, I think, a political winner because people will be happy that all of a sudden $10,000 in in debt has has disappeared. Well, for everybody else who's paid back their student—oh, and by the way, the moratorium on student loans, if you have a student loan, interest has been suspended and you haven't been required to make a payment for the last two years, that's apparently, because of the pandemic, going to be continued an an extra six months to at least January 1st of next year. This is a big deal, and politically— Biden appears to think it's a winner going into the midterms. I'm not sure I agree. We will discuss it in detail coming up in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Let's get right to it. Head getting ready to explode. Biden has been talking about this for months and months and months. And now, a couple months before the election, he, he ends up you know dropping what is going to be his plan. Now, let me say this at the beginning. I don't think this is legal. Matter of fact, Nancy Pelosi several months ago said she didn't think the president had the authority to just make student debt go away without the approval of Congress, but there'll be lawsuits. But let's assume the president gets his way. Here, Here is the deal. He is saying that if you have an income, adjusted gross income, of $125,000 or less, He's going to wipe away $10,000 of your student debt. If it's a married family, you and your spouse, and you each have $10,000 in student debt, he will wipe away twenty grand of your debt, 10000 from each spouse, if you make up to a quarter million dollars. Now, let me just say this at the outset. Why in God's green earth, if you're making $120,000, the taxpayer's should give you a gift of $10,000 is beyond me. Why in the world, if you and your spouse are together making more than a quarter million dollars, why the taxpayers of the United States should give you a gift of $20,000 is beyond me. The The budget models that they're looking at estimate that about 73% of this money is going to go to benefit households in the top 60% of earners. This will cost the federal government about $330 billion over the course of of the next 10 years. They break it down. The National Taxpayers Union Foundation says the average cost to taxpayers of Biden's announcement today is going to be about $2,100 per taxpayer. That is what it will cost you for what Joe Biden has done. In addition, people have not been required to make payments or Interest is not accrued on student loans since really the start of the pandemic, April of 1919, by 2019, that is. Biden has continued that using, again, the pandemic as an excuse. He's going to continue to not require people to make payments, interest or otherwise, on their student loans until conveniently after the midterm elections. um, That would be on January 1st because of the pandemic. I mean, but again, this is, I I think, one of the most bold and one of the most blatant election year bribes. And I say that in a legal sense. I mean, I'm not saying it's illegal, although I I don't think he has the authority to do it, in an effort to buy votes. Because what he knows is this predominantly affects younger people, and he's going to motivate them. And, hey, Joe Biden's the guy that gave them $10,000, and and now you're you're under if you you are having to make those student loan payments that you haven't had to make for two years. Don't worry, we've just given you $10,000, so now you can go out and buy that car, or you can go out and buy the TV sets or whatever, which, by the way, the financial analysts say that this is going to be an incredible, incredible fuel to inflation as well. So this is what's happening. He's decided to do this. Now, some of the more liberal members of his party wanted him to go farther, but he said, no, I'm going to limit this to $10,000. If you saved and put yourself through school and didn't take out loans, you're out of luck. If you saved and forego, went for, decided to forego things, so you could pay for your kid's education and you didn't take out loans, you're out of luck. If you took out loans and worked multiple jobs or whatever and paid those loans back, you are 
out of luck. And if you decided that you, you weren't going to go to college because, well, you, know, you just didn't, couldn't afford it and you didn't want to be in debt, you are out of luck. If you went to uh, graduate school and you're now a high-paid lawyer um, or you're, you're a doctor, well, okay, depending on what your adjusted gross income is, you are, in fact, you know, you are, you are in luck. And if you're one of those people who, instead of going to college, decided, hey, I'm going to, I like landscaping. I'm going to start my own landscaping business. And, but what I, what I need is I need to, I need to take out loans. I need to get small business loans because I want to buy a truck and I need to buy some equipment and stuff. You're out of luck because this doesn't apply to you. So that, that money that you borrowed, that you're to buy that that truck. If you decided, hey, I, I want to start my own, I don't know, I want to start my own coffee shop, for for example, I, or what, I want to start my own restaurant, so I want to take out that small business loan. You are out of luck. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Lines. Um, Joe Biden thinks that this is going to be a huge benefit for him and his fellow Democrats in the election because he believes that people will embrace this. They will be thrilled by this. They will turn out in the polls in large numbers to vote to say thank you, Uncle Joe, for giving me $10,000, even though it's not your money to give, even though this is going to fuel inflation, even though it's going to cost $300 billion on top of the $120 billion that it's already cost us by not collecting interest payments on the loans. That's the calculation, that this is what we need to do. I think this is fundamentally wrong. I think it is fundamentally dishonest, the reason they're doing it. I think it's, if you wanted to try to destroy the American economy right now, I, I guess the, the thing that you could do to do it more than that would have been to forgive even more than $10,000 in loans. And I think this is going to backfire because I think the vast majority of Americans, particularly people like like me, maybe like you, who took out student loans, who paid back those student loans over time, are sitting there saying, well, wait a second, why are we suddenly saying to people that you no longer have to honor your obligations? And if we're going to forgive student loans, why aren't we forgiving small business association loans? Why aren't we forgiving, well, you name it, why aren't we forgiving any sort of loan? 855-616-1620. Biden thinks that this is going to... Again, buy votes, help him out. I think he's made a fundamental miscalculation. We discuss in just a moment. Now, before we get into this conversation, let let me just say something at the outset. If you wanted to do something with student loans that would not have been as appalling as what the president has done today and is inflationary and all that, if you wanted to talk about, say, renegotiating interest rates so instead of 10 percent people are are paying more of a market type of interest rate like three or four percent or whatever i'd be all in favor of that i I think that would have been a reasonable alternative but to say to people who are making a quarter million dollars a year ah you've got some student loans here i'm giving you a twenty thousand dollar gift husband and and wife you're you're just here go go out and I don't know, buy that fancy electric car or whatever and think of what that's going to do for inflation. But everybody else has to pick up the tab. And the estimate right now is this plan is going to cost the average taxpayer about $2,000. So retirees living on fixed income, all right, here it comes for you. All those of you who didn't go to college or who paid back your loans or whatever, all right, they're, they're coming after you as well. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Paul. Paul, you're first. Good afternoon. 
Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, um, you know, hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I put myself through college, grad school, and professional school. It took me 25 years to pay off my student debt. When my children were ready to go to a university or a college, they, went, they picked a, a state school, not a private university. We helped them with their tuition, yet they still had to take care of living expenses, et cetera. Huh. I find this objectionable for what I had to do and what I had to pay back, which I think everybody at, you know, that was a matter of honor. It was your education. You made the choices. This was your responsibility, your debt. My children, I, you know, they saw what me and my wife put through to, to pay for this. They lost, they lost a vote because I always told my children, vote for the person, not the party. But I can assure you they're not going to vote for this party in the future because my daughter is not working. She sees what it's like in the real world. And for me to have to pay for somebody else's education, yeah. like what he just did, I'm sorry. It's just wrong. Well, well right. And, and let's, know, let, Paul, you know, you raised an interesting point. What about the people who maybe they wanted to go like Joe Biden did to one of the Ivy League schools, but be, the, the cost, even uh-huh. if they could get in, were prohibitive. And so you, you went to a, a different sort of school or whatever. Why in God's green earth should the taxpayers be paying, let's take the family of two that's making less than a quarter million dollars, and paying them $20,000 towards their education at Yale or Harvard? Why in God's green earth should the taxpayers be doing that? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it makes no sense. And and they have, what, $125,000 as a benchmark? I'm sorry. I think that's still pretty darn good money. They should be able to pay that back. I, you, if, they're, if they're making that, they're using their degree. In which case, why should they be forgiven anything? I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't I, see it. I, no, th- thanks for calling. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But let, let's just understand this. This is a legal legal bribe that that's that's out there that that here's what we're going to do but but it's not free money it, it, it's your money it's my money it is just this idea that here you know we've got this one particular generation that we we haven't we haven't made payback money we haven't made anybody make payments for the last couple years so it, by the way if you want to talk about the, the the classic people who are the real suckers it would be the people and i've heard from several of you who have student loans who because of the pandemic over the course of the last couple years weren't required to make payments but nevertheless you did and, and I've heard from a lot of you who are in that boat. You're like, well, hey, I, I'm still working. I'm still making money. I want to reduce my principal. I want to reduce the balance. I'm making payments. You are all day suckers because, you know, you, you've you've been doing the right thing. You've been honoring your obligations, and, you know, you're in that situation. So, boy, I mean, boy, you, you should have just, if, if you owed if you owed ten grand and you've made a dime payment over the last two years, Joe Biden has just played you as a complete and total um, chump. Jeff, we didn't qualify for financial aid. Our son goes to a private college, so we're paying for that. And why should we have to pay for other people's quali- college when we didn't even qualify for financial aid? Well, yeah, that's a very, very, you know, good question that's there. Don't forget about the people, Jeff, that didn't want student loans, joined RRTC, and then served in the armed forces to effectively pay off their debt, right? There's no question about, you know, that. That's what went on as well, Um, you know. 
Uh, Jeff, I don't really agree with this, but it's not exactly front page news that politicians bribe people to get votes. Well, no, but this is one of the most blatant bribes that that you are going to see. Something in a time of, I don't want to say unprecedented, but we haven't seen inflation like this for at least the last couple decades to suddenly say, we're now just going to wipe away a couple hundred billion dollars in debt and encourage people to then go out and spend it. I mean, that's the flip side of this. Um, Jeff, this is the war of attrition playbook. Put forth the absurd often enough till we swallow it down. This is outrageous. Um, well, yeah, I, I think it exactly is. Um, and I have a couple people who just can't get over Trump. Well, okay, so we're giving away hundreds of billions of dollars. Don't you know that Trump sucks? Well, okay, got it. Jeff, um, you know, talk about chumps. How about a fool like me who's been working my butt off for 39 years, not going to school at all? I think this is criminal. It should be like pure theft. Um, you know, that's it. Jeff, what shocks me is nobody's carping about making over $125,000, not getting anything. They should prorate it for these people. That's tongue in cheek. Well, of course, but it is to an extent because if you're married and you both have student loans, um, you, you get up to, you can make up to a quarter million dollars AGI and you're still going to get the relief. A quarter million dollars. And the taxpayers are paying this off. And again, I mean, I think it is a fair question to ask to Joe Biden, why are we only doing this with the people that currently have have an outstanding debt? What about the people that have paid this off in the last five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? Why why aren't we entitled to something as well? Why are we only picking out this one particular segment of, of people and saying, you know, we're going to give you this break? And I go back to the big point as well. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says that you have to take out student loans. What? Why are we limiting this to student loans? What about people who took out car loans? What about people who, and of course, again, as long as we're on student loans, there's there's nothing that says that those student loans had to be used on tuition. Let me see a show of hands. I know people, and my guess is you did as well, for people who took out those student loans and then used them essentially to, to live on, spent them on other sorts of things. So why is it that the taxpayers are bailing this out other than the fact that Joe Biden thinks it's going to help him in November because it will motivate young people to turn out and vote for him? Well, it might, but I think it's going to motivate a lot of other people to say, wait a second. This is how crazy some of these policies go, and, you know, we just can't afford it, and it's not fundamentally right. We pick up the conversation right there. I'm getting a couple of texts who are saying, oh, don't, Jeff, you, you don't understand. This is going to help me a lot. You know, I, I, I went to school, I took out these loans, I owe all this money, and I, I, now that this is going to be great. Well, I get it. I, I understand. Look, if, if somebody wanted to come around and give anybody, here's $10,000. We've decided that, you know, we, uh, you, you took out that mortgage. Here, here's 10 grand. Put it towards the mortgage. Oh, you got that car loan that's there. Take out 10 grand. You got that small business loan. You, you owe 10 grand on your credit cards. I, I mean, I, I get it. I understand. If you're one of those people that you now have the taxpayers giving you, thanks to Uncle Joe, $10,000, I understand why you like it. And, and that's, that's what Biden is counting on, that you're going to be thrilled. Hey, I just got $10,000. But it's not free money. Everybody else has to pay for 
your $10,000. Jeff, um, regard, regard the forgiveness of the $10,000 student loans, um, many of those who qualify also received COVID stimulus. They've had two years of delay in paying their school debt, and they didn't have to pay their rent for two years. I specifically chose two years of community college to take care of the general education requirements, and then two years of university in order to get a bachelor's degree because I knew I couldn't afford all four years at a university. I'm sick of these bailouts. Well, there is that element. Somebody's saying to me, well, you know, you're using Yale and Harvard as an example. That's not right. No, it is right because that's it. It doesn't matter. If you decided to go to Yale, yeah, I mean, you're still going to have larger student debts, but they're going to give you $10,000. So why you got a Yale law you got a Yale law degree? Why should the taxpayers be giving you ten thousand dollars? That that is the fundamental question. One of our texters says my um, my son went to law school and he wanted to go to Vanderbilt, which is private, and was going to cost uh, like two hundred thousand. And he went to you know Madison instead. Madison's a very good law school, but you know he, he didn't go where he wanted, and he paid back his student loans. She says he sent me a text just earlier today saying, "Boy, I feel like a real idiot now because I paid back my student loans." Well, yeah, you you are, in in effect, because of, you know, this. Jeff, both my kids got their undergraduate degrees, and both of their debts are paid off. I'm not holding my breath on getting my money back because I feel I did the right thing. My question is, my daughter is about to start school and get her master's degree. Should uh, She asked if she should get a quick student loan so she can get 10 uh, grand back. Is there a date for qualification? My understanding... Just my understanding is that this does not apply to um, kids who are, aren't in school now. So I don't think your your daughter would qualify for this, um, which, again, raises this kind of fundamental fairness question about, you know, if you've just paid off your student loan, you're out, you're, you're out of luck. But if you've been, I don't know, spending that student loan money on buying the cars or buying whatever, well, then, you know, yeah, you're going to get the 10 grand. It's just, it makes absolutely no sense on so many levels. And already there's talk about lawsuits. And I, I just, I don't understand how this can be legal. Um, but, but it, it, it doesn't matter. Biden's done it and he thinks it's going to help him politically. I'm not sure. We continue the conversation in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Bob in Brookfield. Bob, good afternoon. Thanks for waiting. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. Sorry. If I can start with a little bit of a rant, I'm, I guess I'm tired of the whole blanket solution policies. Um, when COVID hit, they gave stimulus checks to everybody. There were a lot of people that worked through COVID, yeah. actually benefited from COVID, got this extra money, yep. bragged about, you know, I'm going to use it for vacations, this, this, and that, yep. while people, neighbors, were probably suffering and hurting. Yep. Okay, with that set up, this is almost exactly the same exact thing. There are people out there that go and they spend a ton of money on their degrees and they can't get jobs in their field. They have to go bankrupt. Maybe they lose their house. They get sick. That's why there are solutions. Bankruptcy was was um, was always an option, but they, they went in there and said, no, you can't put student loans on bankruptcy. Instead of going through and finding solutions to help the people that maybe need it, they get sick or let's say they get in a car accident and they're paralyzed. Take care of the people that need it. That I'm sympathetic and empathetic about. Right. But to do this blanket, 
Yeah, the blanket I, solution but, is right. getting old. Well, well, exactly. For people, right, there's so many different examples of that, like the, the, like the moratorium on having to pay your rent, the, the same sort of thing, right? There, there's some people who lost their jobs who had to take substantial income right. cuts, but there are other people, it, it was just kind of business as usual. Why, why did we tell those people they didn't have to pay their rents? I, it, right. But, no, I, I'm with you, Bob. I, I went back to school. Welcome, sir. I Go went ahead. back to school, Jeff, late, late in life, and I took out a student loan. And I, I, I paid it off, yeah. you know, and it wasn't easy, but I did it because it was a commitment. The same as you make a commitment when you buy a car or anything else. Right. And it should affect your credit rating, not right. just have it wiped away. Yeah, That's no, 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 thanks, thank, no, thanks for the call, Bob. And I, I, I agree. It's this kind of blanket thing. Now, the, the only thing that I, I do want to kind of correct, so I don't correct it, I'm, I'm going to get texts from people. Um, my understanding, and as a recovering lawyer, I, I, I don't. I don't claim to be an expert in bankruptcy. The, the idea that you cannot discharge student loans in bankruptcy, I think, is an urban myth. My, it, it's it's a little bit more complicated, but and you have to make an extra showing. There's a couple steps that you have to do, and it it complicates things, and you have to show what I think is undue hardship. But I know there's some people out there that think that student loans aren't dischargeable in bankruptcy, and I'm not giving legal advice. My understanding is that that's that is not correct. Now, again, it, it's it's a little more complicated to discharge student loans than others, but I, I, it is possible to do that. At least that's my understanding. But I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer, lawyer, and I do not play one on the radio. Jeff, I make sixty grand a year. I don't have student debt. I don't take vacations. I don't do much of anything, really. Any discretionary income I have goes to retirement savings, and I'm supposed to pay off someone's degree who makes twice of what, what I do? Yes, that that is the best way to put it. If you are if you're making, you know, 60 grand or 70 or 80 grand a year, and you that is exactly what the expectation is, you are expected to pay for other people, let's take a husband and wife who make $250,000 a year, you are expected to help pay for their student loans. Yes, that is Joe Biden's America. when, When you put it like that, it's almost just impossible to think of why anybody would, would think that this was, was appropriate you know, in that particular, you know, situation. So, I, and look, I, I think there's all sorts of, of, of problems with, with colleges. I think, you know, part of the things that happened years ago is because of the availability of, of, of loans and the easy access to loans. I, I think schools were able to jack up their, their tuition rates. Um, and, and because they, they knew people would pay it. Because, hey, I, I want to go to, I've had my heart set on going to I'd pick a school, Marquette. I've had my heart set on going to Marquette, so I don't care what Marquette charges. I'm going to go because I'm going to be able to get a student loan to to cover that. So I think the availability of student loans, I think, fed into the, the crazy increases in tuition that you've seen pretty much all across the board. But at the same time, that, so there, the universities are, are to blame for that to an extent. I think the universities are also to blame for not being honest in many respects about what the job market looks like for people. Hey, you want to go to law school? Well, that's that's great. Um, then you can be a lawyer. Well, okay, you should also tell people that the, the job market for lawyers right now is brutal. If you come out and you're in the top couple in your class, yeah, you're going to do fine. But a lot of people are, are really struggling to make a living. It's not like it was when I graduated from law school in 19. 
1982. It's just, it's not. It's a different environment. But but people don't think about that type of stuff. So there's all sorts of problems that go through it. But at the same time, just like nobody holds a gun to your head and says you got to take out a car loan, just like nobody holds a gun to your head and say, hey, you want to buy that house, you've got to take out a, a mortgage. You know, just like nobody holds a gun to your head and says, hey, if you want to, again, you want to start that landscaping business and you need a small business loan to buy the truck and to buy some of the equipment, nobody forces you to do it. It's the risk that you end up taking. That's the same thing that's true with student loans. Why Why the rest of us? And again, the, the estimates are that this plan that Biden has rolled out, I mean, they say it's going to cost north of $300 billion over the course of the next 10 years on top of the $100-plus billion that we've already lost, we being the taxpayers, have lost by not collecting things over the last two years. They're estimating the average cost to a taxpayer is going to be about two grand. So, yes, you, you and your wife... Um, I don't know, family of four, you know, you are now going to be shelling out, oh, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars. So somebody else, well, has a little bit of student loan debt relief. We pick it up right there in just a moment. Well, we could go on and on. <laughs> the texts are just pouring in. Jeff, what about giving each of us $10,000 but forcing those with student loans to use it to pay back the student loan? This is the most frustrating thing <laughs> ever. Well, yeah, here, I mean, Joe, if you're going to try to bribe people and, and buy votes, what, why why stop at like the small, the comparatively, I mean, if you think like $300 billion is small, the comparatively small number of people who have student loans, why don't we just but let's just flat out give everybody $10,000. Jeff, will the forgiveness of debt be taxable like forgiveness of credit card debt? I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I don't know that for sure. Um, Jeff, what about helping struggling seniors instead? Many of them can't work where young people have the whole life to earn money. No, you're, you're, you're out of luck. Struggling seniors, you know, dealing with, um, eight, nine, ten percent inflation, seeing medical bills go up and the cost of prescription drugs rise and the cost of everything from gasoline to groceries going up. No, you're, you're, you're out of luck. Now you're going to get a little bit more money in Social Security as long as Social Security remains viable, but you're, you know, that's going to probably be exceeded by the cost of living. You're, you're not getting ahead, but you will, I, I think, be be glad to know that you're going to be paying a couple thousand dollars so that somebody who, I don't know, went to law school at a private school, well, they, they get a little bit of debt relief. Doesn't that make you feel better? A couple of texters say, well, this is just, pe- people are just jealous haters. Why, why should they care about this? Well, here's the bottom line. First of all, everybody should care when the governor, when the government picks winners and losers like this and says, you don't have to honor your obligations. So just forget about all that. But when you see what this is going to do to inflation, and I understand that the Biden administration has been taking this head in their sand, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that inflation is up. That is one of the big lies that is out there. Inflation in this country started to really amp up when we had the April of 2021 stimulus payments, the where we continued to send out the money even after the pandemic was essentially over, and we just gave people all sorts of money to spend. Well, what happened is they, they ended up spending it on you know various items, and that's where you start to see the, the price increase has gone up. So, I mean, I understand inflation is caused by some other things, too, like the war in Ukraine, and I get it, but if you don't think – 
It started in April of 2021 when we made the unnecessary continuing pandemic payments after the pandemic was over. Um, you, you just you don't understand economics. And if you don't think that this is going to have a huge impact, um, just just wait. Um, Jeff, I have a grandson who couldn't wait to collect a student loan loans. Then he went out and bought a thousand dollar bicycle. He bought a fifteen hundred dollar engagement ring for his girlfriend. He took trips to Chicago and dinners out in Chicago at a hundred bucks a plate. Now they expect us to pay it back. Go figure. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right, and that's the point that I was making. A lot of people just use these student loans to pay for anything other than student loans, and now, so you're essentially, in this case, the rest of us suckers are paying for this texter's you know, grandson who, I don't know, bought a nice bicycle and you know bought a nice engagement ring and things like that. You, you just cannot make this stuff up. Um, there's just no doubt about it. So uh, I, I the, the calculation is that this is going to be a political winner. I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen? One of the texters is saying, do I think that the media, just like they did whenever Trump came out with a plan, the media ran to all the Republicans and said, what do you think about this? The texter said, well, is the media going to be running the Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes and asking them what they think? And, and my guess is I, I would imagine because I would imagine that. Uh, Tony Evers, who's been a huge big government tax and spend guy, and Mandela Barnes, who is essentially a socialist, they, I think, probably think this is a good idea. My guess is, and I want to put words in Mandela Barnes' mouth, but he's probably much closer to the Elizabeth Warrens of the world who would like to see $50,000 in student loan debt forgiven. Let's just forget about all this stuff, and, you know, we'll figure out how we pay for it. We'll sock those evil rich. We'll sock those people who are making money now, in this particular case, like I say, the student loan forgiveness extends to people who are making up to a quarter million dollars. Um, it's just mind-boggling. Jeff, my wife and I have been paying student loans for 10 years. Now, are they going to forgive them? You know, what crap? Well, I, that's, um, you, you've kind of, you know, you've kind of got that that's sort of out there. So, what what can you do? Um, Jeff, spare me the whining about Biden vi- buying votes. Remember the stimulus checks that had to have Trump's name on them. The first round of stimulus checks, and by the way, I didn't oppose the first round. I opposed everything after that, which I thought was buying votes. And then you had buying votes when we did it again in April. All these policies have decided to try to pander to certain people. And yeah, okay, maybe... Maybe you're going to vote for the, hey, I want this free lunch. But the truth of the matter is there is no such thing as a free lunch. And we're starting to see that with the spiraling of inflation. Jeff, at one point you said this was illegal for Biden to do. He didn't have the authority to do this. I I think that's the case. Nancy Pelosi, you know, several months ago, she said the president just doesn't have the power to unilaterally cancel student debt. I don't think that's the case, but it's going to have to be tested in a court of law. My guess is there's going to be lawsuits that will be filed probably by tomorrow morning (laughs) about this. And how it's ultimately decided, I I don't know. But, again, this shows, I think, where the attitude of the current administration is. And I understand if you're about to get $10,000 student loan relief, you think this is the greatest thing since canned beer. But just think about all the other people 
that are going to be paying for it. And if you're making $240,000 a year between you and your spouse, well, when, when you're out on that vacation, just raise a glass of champagne to the poor suckers who are paying for your student loan debt.